HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by TechServe, New York's original and still the best Apple computer, iPod, and iPhone store and repair shop. For more information, visit TechServe.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes.
Yes. Great. Eli Reed, welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. You were easily, I mean, you were, I think, a guest before we had a theme song. It was like a solid, solid four years ago yeah, at this point. Easy. I mean, we're coming up. I mean, this August will be episode 200 and five year anniversary will kind of hit around the same time. Really? Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. We, um, Eli was, uh, if you want to check it out, if you go to the Heritage Radio Network SoundCloud, Eli was on the very first Snacky Tunes comp. Uh, where I think your backup was a plate and a fork. That was your percussion. Sounds about right. And we'll actually be having um, Snacky Tunes uh, Volume 5 coming out in May in conjunction with the uh, seventh year of the barbecue blowout. So Do I get to be on that one too? Uh, you'll be on number six. And number six. Okay. We, already, we put uh, number five to bed and uh, number okay. six. So, uh, yeah. But um, you're going to be hearing, uh, we're going to talk about the new record. Uh, here's some songs from Eli in a little bit. But uh, up first, we have Eduardo Porto Carriero uh, live here on Snacky Tunes. Welcome. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Um, sommier, DBGB, handsome looking man, and uh, looking very good for uh, popping bottles of burgundy uh, all night. You, you look well put together. I think it's all about the... Uh Timing of the espresso in the morning. Yeah, when it, when do you? There's been uh, studies coming out about when you're actually supposed to drink your coffee. It's not supposed. It's supposed to be like a little bit after, not first thing in the morning. Yeah, I I'm a true believer in hydration. Um, uh, everyone that I've worked with knows uh, my hydration proclamation across the nation uh, situation, <laughs> and that I need to have uh, a, a glass of water for every beverage that I consume, and certainly in the morning, first things first, water, 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 then espresso. Do you, re- you really go one-on-one? I do. I mean, because so many people say, like, even from, like, playing shows, they're like, go one-on-one. And oh, you're yeah. like, and you're like, you Absolutely. might, and you might start, like, one-on-one, and then on your fourth drink, you're like, uh, I don't, you know, I'm but getting kind of full on there. I, I have friends that actually make fun of me and call me the camel. Yeah, I'm, I'm big on the water. I mean, I mean, Mazel tov because it looks like <laughs> it. So um, I want to go back a little bit because you have had wine basically in your life from forever. I, I Yes, I was a wee little lad um, uh, sipping or, you know, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say this in the U.S., but yes, I, w- I would be sipping a wine from my parents' glasses as, a, as I was a youth. Did they, uh, did they encourage it or was it a sneak or? I suppose... Um, it was easier to do it uh, since it wasn't in the U.S. I kind of grew up all over the place. Yeah. Um, I made my way um, uh, through different uh, countries and sneaking sips of wine uh, throughout those countries. And I think it was a combination of, hey, this is really good. You should try this with this. Yeah. And it sort of became part of, oh, gosh, I like this taste. So like in, maybe instead of your 10,000 hours, you have your 10,000 sips. Outstanding. <laughs> well played. Malcolm Gladwell had something on that, yeah. to be sure. Um, but you uh, didn't get started uh, in a restaurant. You started stocking wine, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, my first gig outside of school when I really decided that I didn't want to do the investment banking and, uh, you know, corporate thing was, hey, what do I want to do? And um, I started in a little wine shop uh, and I was... Do you remember the name? Yeah. Where, shout it out. Greenblatt's Deli and Fine Wine Shop. I, I, yeah, okay. That, yeah, a deli and fine wine. This, this is one of the most magical places in L.A. It's actually uh, on the Sunset Strip. It's an old school deli, probably 80 years old now. 
awesome pastrami sandwich. Is that next to the comedy store? It is. I know exactly where that yeah, is. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, no, next to the Laugh Factory. The Laugh Factory. Laugh, Laugh yes. Factory. Like yes. right across, there's a big mall across the it street It is such a good pastrami sandwich. You have no idea. I've, I've had the pastrami I'm sandwich so happy at to hear that, that deli, and it is delicious. Yeah. Really? Okay. And so you have this half deli, half awesome wine store situation yeah. where uh, you'd see people roll in and drop $2,000 on a bottle of Bordeaux and have it with a Reuben. And I said, like, what is going on here? Oh, my God. It's amazing. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Uh, so, and what ages were, was that Was that job? Oh, gosh. Uh, I graduated college at 21. I had this job uh, about two months after I graduated college. And how did that begin to shape your you know career in, in wine working in the in the store versus say like if you just like started in a restaurant gosh that's a good question i i um was very poorly compensated for that job i <laughs> I, I i in essence was an eight dollar an hour uh clerk mm-hmm. and i saw that i had an opportunity to um pretend that that wasn't my compensation mm-hmm. and I said hey let me see what I can take from this so mm-hmm. it effectively it became just a boot camp for tasting tasting learning learning asking questions it's pretty cool what was uh, like one of the big lessons that you took away from like one was like the one like maybe like an aha moment I I should say that um, it happens to be a continuous aha moment but every Every lesson, every bottle, everything that I taste uh, makes me realize that I really don't know anything about the subject. Still to this day. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much to learn. It's I, crazy. I can't. And so from there, you moved on to Grace. Yeah. Which is pretty incredible. Yeah. And how did, how did that happen? Uh, happenstance. Um, I was uh, at a barbecue at a buddy's place who knew... Uh, who knew his neighbor who happened to be the opening wine director at Grace Restaurant that ended up being a pretty baller spot in uh, LA and uh, that neighbor was walking by as I was on the patio that day and that neighbor introduced me to him we got to talking chatting and he was able to get my resume to the GM's desk and then I ended up uh, interviewing and they uh, offered me a job as a food runner Mm. but how did you transition food runner to working on the wine side um, I think I uh, use my wily ways to sort of um, just sneak in there. I, uh, the wine director at the time was kind of fascinated at this young food runner mm. asking so many questions about wine. Mm. So I never stopped asking. And um, he kind of got to the point where, you know what, this guy probably wants to keep on learning. And eventually I made it up to expediter, waiter. And then when I became a waiter, he said, help me out with a program. And um, I was able to help him out and sort of became his assistant. And how many years were you there? I was at Grace from opening day to closing day. That was about, gosh, I want to say seven, seven years, six and a half, seven years. Um, I um, was a sommelier there uh, for six and a half years. Wow. Yeah. And then you still stayed in L.A. after that, right? I did. I did. I was loving life out there, man. The weather, the good people. It was fun. And you ended up at Father's Office, right? I uh, sang you and the chef owner of Father's Office. Um, uh, that has two outlets over there. Um, wanted to open up a actual restaurant. And I say actual in air quotes uh, because he had been doing the, the gastro pub thing for a while. And he wanted to go back to his um cooking ways mm. so he opened up a Lakshan restaurant in Culver City Southeast Asian cuisine uh, and uh, when he opened that up he said I need uh, a beverage person to help me out so 
yeah. And, and it was different from the burger gastropub vibe. What type of food was served there? Yeah, uh, Lakshan is, in my opinion, still one of the coolest, more cutting-edge restaurants uh, just because of its absolute focus and authenticity of flavors. Um, so uh, Sang Yoon, as a chef, has these two cool uh, spots that are super casual called Father's Office and Lakshan. So um, the difference is that it was a pretty rad restaurant, uh, and uh, going over there, starting uh, the beverage program over there, and then eventually transitioning to doing the beverage program for the entire restaurant group was really exciting because I got to play with lots of wine, wine that could go well with cuisines that normally didn't have a lot of wine associated with them, as well as uh, then playing ball with um, with wine for more casual spots. So what are what were some of your more unique pairings when you were out there? Uh, it was the wonderful introduction to something called mala. Uh, mala is Szechuan. Um, uh, it's that... Have you ever had Szechuan peppercorn? peppercorn? Yeah. That almost numbing feeling? Yeah. So mala is the combination of hot and numb. And when you have a great Szechuan dish, not only do you feel wickedly spicy, but also numbing sensations. So what do you what do you drink with that since you can't? I mean, I, every time I've had Szechuan, like, I can barely taste the water. Or it, it's like a weird sensation. Totally weird. Yeah, yeah it's almost like buzzing. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I played around with a lot of different things. Uh, we ended up... Uh, deciding that um, fluffy, high-carbonation uh, triples uh, beers uh, were some of the best um, pairings for that because it even uh, uh, enhanced that buzzing mala feeling. Uh, that was a cool pairing. And then the other pairing, if you wanted to be a bit more correct in the sommelier, again, air quotes, um, uh, style of things, uh, really neat uh, off dry or sli- slightly sweet Rieslings uh, were really fantastic with that. And what could you, I mean, besides like the physical feeling of the carbonation, could you actually, would the, could you taste the, the, the beer or the Riesling or was it just more like the sensation because there were bubbles in the Riesling, bubbles in the carbonation? Yeah, I think, uh, I like to think that we could taste. I mean, taste has so much to do with texture as well and then you, you're playing into the aromatics of, of the situation. So I think that uh, it, it created a really neat, um, I mean, next, next time you go uh, for takeout, uh, get a half bottle of sweet Riesling and a, uh, a bottle of really cool Belgian Abbey triples and have it with super spicy numbing Szechuan and then do it side by side. That could be pretty fun. There's that place uh, on 33rd La Vie and that's actually BYOB. So, uh-huh. so next to it. So um, LA is great, beautiful weather, but here you are in New York. Yeah. So what brought you to New York? Uh, the love of my life. Where did you meet? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I fell in love with this uh, gal. Um, the two of us actually met in Germany uh, a few years back. She, um, she used to be a sommelier. Uh, when I was actually still a sommelier at Grace, she was a sommelier at a restaurant in New York called The Modern. The two of us were invited on the same wine trip, and we were in Germany, uh, and we uh, became acquainted um, and, and took a, uh, an interest in one another. Nothing really happened for another year after that. We just started correspondence, and then we um, kind of dug each other and started dating, did the long-distance thing, and then eventually said, I'm tired of flying to New York once a month. Why don't I just move? Uh, and so we probably didn't stay jobless for long. Uh, where did you end up? <laughs> you know, it's pretty neat. Um, I, I had a really awesome mini vacation when I first moved here uh, looking for a job because I didn't have one when I uh, arrived. And through a few friends uh, from back west, I uh, finagled a little meeting with a guy named Daniel Jonas. Daniel Jonas is this uber sommelier, uh, the guy who's 
um, in charge of all of the Danielle Ballou restaurants uh, for wine, as it were. Uh, and we chatted, we talked, and um, long story short, he uh, hooked me up with a little job uh, in the Danielle Ballou restaurant group. Uh, we were, um, uh, or rather, uh, they needed a sommelier uh, on the Upper West Side for the Ballou Sud Bar Ballou restaurant corner. Um, and uh, I started there just a couple months after I moved out. It's pretty fun. It's great. Well, we're going to uh, take a quick break. Uh, we're going to hear a song from Jungle, who uh, had a great time at South by Southwest. And then we're going to come back and talk about the programs you do at uh, DBGB, some of the conversations you have, and your fixture in the Lower East Side wine scene. Uh, we, and we got Eli Reed coming up in a little bit, playing live. Is it too late now to change your mind? Do we have to go back inside? In this grand garden, there's no more malaise. So you come outside and pay me mind. And I We'll see what my lady thinks if she might call on me tonight. She is out of sight, you know I'm right. She is luxuries, she is dreamy things. She's a lady in the high castle. Whose empire never ended And I, I, I feel alive Inspired by some mad god And I will arrive if she Calls on me tonight She calls on me tonight. Woo! It's a good Sunday afternoon track. Uh, we have a Eduardo Somia extraordinaire from DBGB <laughs> live on Snacky Tunes. So, uh, talk about some of the programs that you've kind of instituted. I mean, you've only been there for a short amount of time. Yeah, I actually just hit my six month mark at DBGB Kitchen and Bar uh, on the Bowery. Um, Pretty fun, man. I was, I was, I've been a sommelier now for I, I think eleven years, and um, being in New York two years now, uh, feeling the Upper West Side um, action uh, to come down to the East Village and to to do a beverage program down there is so exciting. Uh, DBGB is about to turn five years old, um, and uh, it's had a pretty great. Um, um, I don't know accolades for their beverage program over the years so it's been really neat to add my style uh, to to the equation and how has that worked like I mean you've only been there six months like how has the handoff been from you know mm -hmm. let's say day one to you know year five like how has it evolved yeah I, I tell you um, DBGB uh, opened up as a mecca to the more casual things that Danielle Balloon um, fantastic mission start chef uh, loved. Uh, he said, I want to open up a spot that uh, has delicious burgers, sausages, uh, 
ice cream sundaes. Um, and I also want a place where people can feel comfortable and drink beers uh, and, 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 and have good values. Um, so the list uh, has always been uh, focused on great beer and great wines of value. Uh, it started in a bit more of a small um, uh, facet and over the years the beverage directors have sort of taken their different routes and I think right now um, at the cusp of the five year mark which is probably going to coincide with five year uh, anniversary of Sakitune we should have them on the radio yeah that'd be, that'd be awesome <laughs> we we'll, should have them we'll, take, we'll take five years actually one of the first dinners that we had was with Patrick, who is the founder of, of uh, Heritage. One of the first dinners we had when we started the show was May Six Months in was having dinner at DBG. That's so awesome. Maybe we should uh, do a little something. Let's talk Love about that yeah, after. We will. Yeah. We will. To be sure, man. Um, no, I, it's it's exciting to be here, sort of celebrating almost a uh, renewal uh, with DBGB. Um, we have a, a new executive chef down there, a guy named Charlie Foster, who's ridiculously talented. Um, we, we we've been doing um, this little monthly series called Conversations at the Kitchen Table. And it's essentially taking all the philosophies and ideas that Danielle Ballou instilled with the um, creation of DBGB and, and doing it in a smaller uh um, stage. Uh there's a tiny little PDR in the back of the restaurant and we do these uh dinners uh with really great pairings with tremendous food and just discuss um in a uh, more casual conversational style the food, the beverage. Um, why uh, they they work together, where they come from, uh, who the purveyors are, so on and so forth. So, um, in you know, I, I digress, but in the grand scheme of things, I want to say that DBGB beverage-wise, right now, is in a place where it's kind of focused on the really great values of the world, and that's across the board. Everything from uh, fantastic thirty-six-dollar Provencal non-vintage red wine that's just utterly delicious and easy drinking to a really posh and refined and lovely um, uh, red burgundy to scores of Cru Beaujolais that I, I find uh, are one of the best values out there. And, you know, what, what defines value for you? Great question. Wow. That's like a college entrance essay uh, <laughs> question right there, uh, especially for a sommelier. Um, I think that value for me is um, something that at any price point reflects um, an exceeding of expectation. Mm -hmm. So if I have 20 bucks in my pocket and I say, I want to feel so good that I was able to steal this experience with just $20, that to me is that bottle of beer that's $19, that's one of the most um, rare beers around, but you can pick it up for $19 and it's exquisite and you'll never forget that moment. That's something that many people might want to drop $100 for, but you're only getting it for 20 And similarly, you get that with bottles of wine. Um, I mentioned Cru Beaujolais just moments ago. This is a little area that's gotten poo-pooed for so long and now finally is getting this renaissance and all the sommeliers are talking about it because it's the stuff that we can afford. You know, people say that being a sommelier is living like a pauper and drinking like a king. Uh, and I completely agree because we kind of have the insights as to where you can find the wines that you don't have to spend too much on, yeah. but taste like they are much more expensive. I mean, and how do you balance that for a restaurant where it's like so much of your, you know, revenues are made in the alcohol beverage program? 
how do you provide balance providing value for your customers with going like, well, you know, if we upsell them a little bit, mm-hmm. we're going to have that much better, better of a year. Yeah. I, um, I love that you use that word upsell. Uh, wh- one of the first people that I ever worked with, this wonderful general manager named Amy Noel Fraser, she's the first person who hired me for a restaurant at Grace. Mm-hmm. She banned that word from the restaurants, upsell. Really? Yeah. She said, I do not want to hear this at all. This is not what we're about. We are about service to our guests. And thankfully, I'm in a place that feels that as well. I mean, DBGB across the board from the food to the drinks are all about value rather than upselling. We want to get guests back in there. We want people to have an experience, feel like I really need to come back tomorrow or next next week or next month is my birthday. I want to bring a bunch of friends here to enjoy this uh, because this is a place that isn't going to hurt the pocketbook right. and it's fun. So with regards to how do we balance it, I think that we look at the bigger picture and say, Let's just bring more people in and that will all balance out in the long run rather than like looking for that percentage. Right. So we talk about a wine like Cru Beaujolais that like has been poo-pooed. Like how does a wine come around? Mm. Like how does something like what is – I mean it obviously the, the product is consistent. The grapes are good. The purveyors are the same. What, what changes Saumier's mind? I think open-mindedness is probably the most important trait of any uh, good sommelier. Uh, And uh, I'm happy to sort of be riding the wave of Mm open-mindedness in 2014. I think a lot of my colleagues and a lot of folks in this business are really... uh, allowing everything to to roll in from Eastern European wines to uh, spots that were forgotten to even uh, wines that people five years ago said were overblown. They're revisiting because they realize that they always need to check in on those quote-unquote overblown things. Um, if you keep an open mind, uh, those things will come back around. And specifically in this turnaround that maybe even started with a 2008 economic downturn. People are like, where can we get great wines, great values, um, um, at less expensive uh, prices? And that's where Muscadet came back. You know, that's where Beaujolais came back. That's where folks started pouring wines from Croatia and Slovenia. Um, well, before we uh, turn this over to Eli, I got one question left for you. Uh, what define? What is your perfect glass of wine mm. like which uh, i know that i had and i wish when i was younger but i had a glass of syrah when i was younger that like really was like this is the quintessential red wine for me what for you is like if you were to ha- someone had never had a glass of wine before be like this is the definition mm-hmm. of that's wonderful and i love uh, having eli in this in the studio because i think for me the definition of uh perfection in wine is harmony uh, it, it really is. It's it's all those notes together, and just creating this this beautiful tone and uh, and just hitting your gut in such a way that you're like, ah, it all makes sense for me. Balance and harmony. Okay, great. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, can you give people the nuts and bolts of where they can find you, information about the restaurant, etc.? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, DBGB Kitchen and Bar. Uh, check it out on the website, uh, dbgb.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, just do a little a Google search. Uh, I am there a lot. Uh, Tuesdays through uh, Saturdays for sure, and oftentimes on Sundays and Mondays when I'm not hanging out here at Heritage Radio. Uh, but uh, but it's, uh, it's a fun spot. Uh, great burgers, sausages, relaxed environment, and awesome beer and wine. If you have any questions about beverage, please ask for me. Um, I love talking. Amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah.
If I die before I wait, if I die before I wait, my soul too tight. If I die before I wait, if I die before I wait, my soul too tight. If I die before I wait, if I die before I wait, my soul too tight. These niggas fake. Dave Chappelle, you come in half baked. Austin 316, nigga got big drinks. Mark up the beats. Austin 316, nigga got big drinks. Mark up the beats. Austin 316. Nigga got big dreams. Mark up the beats. Mark up the beats. Mark up the beats. Coming in, Coming like, in like Steph Curry. If I die before I'm faint. Hope that these niggas stop faking. Hope that these niggas stop hating. Hope that these niggas stop playing. Hope that these niggas stop playing. Six niggas at my way. Six niggas at the pearly gates. Six niggas lining up the yay. Six niggas lining up the yay. Yeah. Six, 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 six. Got these niggas shaking. Got these niggas shaking. I tell I'm a lake. Mama in the front seat crying, church bells ringing, everybody dying. Fuck what I like, lay on my start is my black hat of light. All these niggas stuck in the middle path. Got see Nash, I'ma hit him with the pass. If I die before I wait, if I die before I wait, my soul too take. If I die before I wait, if I die before I wait, my soul too take. If I die before I wait, if I die before I wait, my soul too take. These niggas fake. Dave Chappelle, you coming now, babe? But Austin 316, nigga got big drinks. Mark up the beats, Austin 316, nigga got big drinks. Mark up the beats, Austin 316, nigga got big drinks. Mark up the beats, mark up the beats, mark up the beats. Coming in my like Snap Curry. Wow, wow, yeah. Eli, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I mean, I really think it has been like four or so years since you, uh, you were here. I think, well, the last time I was here was right before my last album came out, which unfortunately was four years ago, which is really crazy to think about. But now I've got a new record coming out, and here we are back again. This, yeah. is, this is all my promotional stop. No, I mean, hey, I mean, I'll take it. Hopefully it won't be like four years to the next one, but I, yeah. I would hope not. I would um, hope not. So let's, uh, let's talk about the record. Sure, man. Tell us about it. I mean, recorded almost a year ago. Yeah. Um, what was the, I know you recorded with like one of your longtime collaborators. You know, what, what was the approach on this one versus you know the form, the previous records? Well, you know, I mean, it took four years, sort of for a reason. Uh, we, after I, I I did my record for Capital, which is Come and Get It in 2010, and we really, you know, I didn't even really take a break from touring. I I stopped touring, recorded it in four weeks or whatever, and then went right back on the road. So we were literally touring almost from late 2007 through. 2012 like without really any long extended breaks of more than a month or two you know it was a really extensive period of touring which is great you know and i was really excited and after that kind of tapered off um you know i was ready to do another record for capital and then they got bought out by emi was bought out by universal and and things kind of went to hell and they didn't renew my my contract at, at capital and my buddy, Mike Elizondo, who produced Come and Get It, basically right then, same week, called me and said, would you like to make a record for Warner Brothers? I just got this deal being a staff producer at Warner Brothers. They let me do, have an A&R job, which basically means he gets to sign acts. And he, I was his first call. He's like, hey, come and, come and make a record at Warner Brothers. And I was like, okay, you know, can I, can I do it myself, you know? And they were like, yeah, everybody was it was really supportive of me. And, and we had a few songs that were already written, but not all of it. And sort of from that, we took myself, when I say we, I'm always talking about myself and, and my friend Ryan Spraker, who was uh, my guitarist for a long time and has now be kind of 
become my right hand man for production and writing and and just about everything. We took a bunch of trips out to to Los Angeles and and did writing sessions um, with a whole host of different writers and different kinds of writers, from a hip hop producer to a rock producer to a rock songwriter. Just like just to kind of see how people wrote songs because I had been just used to just sitting at, at home with my acoustic guitar and you know I'd I'd bang it out and I wouldn't really like. You know, I, I was sort of like still under the sway of like, if I can't get it done in seven and a half minutes, then it's not a good song. And I kind of was gradually starting to move away from that and, and writing from, you know, however these guys wrote. So some some guys were like, oh, man, I got this sick, you know, drum beat. Let's try to build something around that. Or this this bass line has been rolling around in my head. Let's, let's work from that. Or this synth line or this whatever, this vocal melody. So that was like a whole different idea of of how to make a record, how to, how to write a song that sort of kind of changed my whole approach. And, and because of that, it, it, you know, it was a little bit of a trial and error. And we wrote probably somewhere on the order of 40 songs for this record that ended up being 11, right. 11 songs. Um, but the process was honestly sort of the best part, you know? And when it came to M to actually record the record, so much of it in a way was already done because we had been demoing things uh, more aggressively, and, and and it was like, okay, we just got to put the finishing touches on this, and then it's ready to go. And what were some of the? I mean, again, like the same thing with uh, Eduardo. Like, what were some of the like aha moments you got from the writing process that have maybe stuck with you and will continue to influence you? I think the biggest thing I worked a lot actually with uh, a guy, uh, Michael Fitzpatrick, who who people know as Fitz from Fitz and the Tantrums, mm-hmm. who's the lead singer. You know, and and he is really like. He has a very particular style, and sometimes we don't get along when it comes to writing. But we wrote in, in what way? Just like he, he he's very set in his in his how he feels a song should should be built or or whatever. Uh, and just like he has a set a style. Got it. He has a style, and I have a style. And sometimes you might think that those two things we would butt heads, and and we did a little bit, but it, in a way it was very good because. What he really stressed to me was that vocal melody was something that you have to have a vocal melody that's going to catch people's attentions right away. And for me, coming as a background from as as really a soul singer or coming from gospel music, and most of the the singers that I love and the songs that I love from that era, the records that I love aren't really about vocal melody. They're about, more about the virtuosity of the singers and like kind of like the power of of the singers. Like you could just make anything a soul record by in a way by by just like if you have a good enough soul like you see you listen to Wilson Pickett sing Hey Jude he doesn't really sing the melody he sings like Wilson Pickett you know what I mean and that's sort of what makes it him but Fitz's idea and and an idea that I eventually came around to was that you can sing that same way but if you if you set the melody up if you adhere strictly to the melody then you're going to be able to catch people's ears more and get people on board faster to your songs wow i never thought about that way do you have an example for anything it's hard you know it it, i think a a lot of the songs on this record uh which is called nights like this by the way and it comes out april 29th oh we're gonna plug the shit out of it oh that's that that's one of ten one of ten (laughs) it is is you know i think really most of them were, were we really focused on the melody even more than I mean, I was such a words guy, and I still am. And I think the word—I mean, I'm, I'm I'm very interested in, in in making sure the lyrics are are right. But we, you know, 
agonized over over making sure the melody was like it really hit home like right away like that was in your head you know do you want from the get go do you want to play us a tune a, a good example of this sure well this is actually I'm gonna play this is the the first single uh, we did woohoo which you played earlier which is kind of like our sort of teaser single it was a little bit of a a, a, a pre launch. And this is the first one that's going to go to radio, uh, hopefully already on the radio in, in Europe, uh, and then hopefully we'll be on the radio here in the U.S. Uh, in the late spring, early summer. Uh, and this is called Shock to the System. This is one that I wrote with, with Fitz and Ryan and a, uh, a great rock producer by the name of Dave Bassett. Great. Actually, I just want to say really quick, this is the first song that we wrote for this record. The first session that we ever did, got out there with Fitz and Dave and bang this out in four or five hours and I had no idea if it was good or not and apparently people like it so that's good this is called Shock to the System She walked in my life and tried it upside down I hollered hey 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 I was serious about her but she made me a clown I hollered hey
Amazing. That was awesome. Thank you. That was great. So when you're putting a song together like that with five people, how does it how does it come together? How does it not fall into like death by committee or lowest common denominator? <laughs> it's funny, you know, you would think that it would. You really would. Um, and these were the first sessions that I had done with like more than one other person. Um, I think everybody kind of finds their role. You know, um, in that particular session, I was really the one focused on the lyrics and kind of like making the lyrics and vocal melody fit together and and making it my own because I'm, it's my voice. Um, and then Dave was kind of building the track. You know, that's the thing with writing songs these days. You can come out of a session in four hours with something that sounds like kind of a finished product, which is really bizarre for me. And I never really, I I would always like send in demos with just me and a guitar, you know. So you know, part of writing the song is making making it sound like 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 a record already. So Dave was working on the drums, and then Fitz was building the kind of keyboard lines and making sure the harmony all fit together. And then, you know, I know Ryan, Ryan and I were kind of working on the lyrics and melody together. You just, yeah, uh, it becomes like a team. And, and, if, and if, if you work together well, then you're, you're a winning team. And if you don't, then you're a losing team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did you have any, like, sessions that you walked into where you're just like, this is just, no, this, is not, this is not going well. We need to get out of here. Absolutely. You know, I'm not going to name any names. No, I mean, but, uh, we never yeah. do here. Yeah, but. you know, I, I mean, some sessions... Are are just busts, you know. Even if you have a good team, some sessions can be busts, you know. But uh, but I think that well, the way that we kind of approached it was Ryan and I were like, well, we know how to write the way that we write, but we're pretty versatile and adaptable. Let's try to write the way that everybody else writes, and let's see how they want to start. Mm. Let's let them start, and then we can, you know, both he and I play a lot of instruments. We both know how to work kind of within different parameters so we decided to just let the other writers take the lead and then we were able to you know uh, uh, turn the the song or whatever the quality of things uh, towards our way of thinking right and so I, and what were some of the and I know we talked about like the vocal melodies but like by going that structure like what did you learn about your own process from from letting other people take the lead I learned that my process was very narrowing you know, for me, like, I had never, uh, just all these different ways of, of making music that I had never really even kind of touched on. And that was exciting. You know, it was really cool to just see how other people were doing it. And, and what was, you know, one or two of the ways that, like, other people make music there? Like, whoa, I never thought about this, and now it's just coming with you outside of the vocal melody. Sure. Part. I mean, we wrote this track uh, that's on the record called Lonely World, and that was, we wrote this with this guy uh, who goes by Rich Skills. And he's, like, real, uh, he's a... He's a uh, a protege of, of one of the big hip hop producers, Polo De Don. So he's like a, he all he does is hip hop, really hip hop and some R and B. So he had this just like massive drum beat and this piano sort of like half progression. You know, it was really very very bare bones. All it was is piano and like big eight oh eight kick and snare. And for a lot of people might hear that and be like, oh, we just got to get a rapper on this track. Like, the, the beat is hot. Let's just get somebody. But Ryan and I were like, man, we could take this and put some kind of, like, 70s soul-ish guitar behind it and make it kind of sound like a Prince thing with a hip-hop beat. So that's sort of what we did. You know, I, like, we heard it in a different light than people maybe in the same wheelhouse as he would. 
And he was cool enough to just let us kind of take the track and go with it, you know? Uh, so the, the new record, Nights Like This, is coming up, but you're doing some uh, pre-shows, if you will. Sure. And uh, I know you had a couple up in, in Boston and one at Union Pool, but mm-hmm. um, what are the shows like? Well, we're doing these shows. We, we, we kind of are, are taking the theme and running with it, Nights Like This with Eli Paperboy Reed. And the, the, the goal, at least right now, uh, for before the album comes out, is we're playing... The big thing is myself and the band are playing the entire album, all the new songs, so people can come and hear all the, all the new stuff even before it's out. Um, we have great DJs who are spinning in between bands. Uh, this, we have a show coming up this Saturday, which is March 22nd at uh, Studio Webster Hall, and uh, some good friends of mine, High and Mighty Brass Band, are supporting, and they're an amazing, amazing band, and they, they play out on the floor. It's, you know, they have tuba and trombone and all that stuff. So they really, the goal was to make it more of an event and not just a show that you go to and you pay your $12 and you stay and see the band for 40 minutes and then you leave. You want people to hang out and enjoy the vibe of the thing. You know, that's like what we were trying to get across with the nights like this kind of concept. Uh, do you want to play another uh, new song off the record? Yeah, absolutely. I want to play one right now. This is one of my, my favorites. This is my alternate title to the record because I think it's, it, it is, you know, sort of representative. But uh, this this is one that we, uh, that it was just Ryan and I, we wrote this together on, on one of our sessions. And this is called Grown Up. It goes like this. Remember sitting on my living room floor, making sure my mother wasn't coming in the door with the radio blasting, singing. Back in '91, I was having too much fun. There was nothing that could make me stop relaxing. Thought I'd never grow old. How could I be so bold? But I've got a deal now. Shit is getting real, so I put on my shoes and lace up. I know I've got to face up to the breakups and makeups and everything I screwed up. I've got to shape up this lost time to make up mistakes to own up. Cause now, somehow, I'm a grown up. Yes, I'm a grown How you even know when's it even starts? Someone give me lines, cause I don't know this party seems so easy. Nobody spends their days watching time go by. Close your eyes and jump and hope that you can fly. Can't believe it. Oh, thought I'd never grow old. How could I be so bold? But I've got a deal now. Shit is getting real, so I put on my shoes and lace up. I know I've got to face up to the breakups and makeups and everything I screwed up. I've got to shape up this lost time to make up mistakes to own up. Cause now, somehow, I'm a grown up. Yes, I'm a so bold but i've got a deal now shit is getting real now shit is getting real now 
So I put on my shoes and lace up. I know I've got to face up to the breakups and makeups and everything I screwed up. I've got to shape up this lost time to make up mistakes to own up. 'Cause now somehow I put on my shoes and lace up. I know I've got to face up to the breakups and makeups and everything I screwed up. I've got to shape up this lost time to make up mistakes to own up. 'Cause now somehow I'm a I feel like that song is trying to send a message, but I, I just can't figure it out. No, it's a yeah. tough one. Yeah, it's those. It's really subtle and you know, <laughs> really shrouded lyrics. Subtlety was never my strong suit. <laughs> um, I mean, is there any like? I mean, in, besides like hiding the fact that people were just like fucking all the time in soul music, was there like much subtlety to soul music? You know, I don't think so, and and I kind of don't think that's really what it's all about. You know, I, I'm. You know, to be perfectly honest with you, not really a fan of music that has too many subtleties, whether it's emotional or not. Uh, I think that there's a place for it. Don't get me wrong, and I'm not going to say there isn't. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I've sort of always been a, a hard on my sleeve kind of person. I think that I do enjoy tongue-in-cheek lyrics. I enjoy lyrics that can be funny or interpreted in, in a couple of different ways. But for the most part, I'm not writing poetry. Right. And I'm okay with that. That's me, you know. Yeah, no, I mean you gotta. I mean you have to know your place. I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy. That's, that's fine. So, um, you know, along with uh, a new record comes a, a tour. Yes. So, uh, where are you heading out to? Well, after we do this show, uh, this will be the last New York show, uh, March 22nd. I want to say again, Webster Hall, which is coming up this Saturday, less than a week. Uh, this will be the last show in New York before the record comes out, uh, and then less than a month from then we head to Europe. Uh, we're going to be in Europe basically from. April 22nd through June 9th with a few with a little bit of a break in between. Okay. But uh yeah, we're going uh Ireland, Scotland, England, Holland, Belgium, Switzerland, France, Germany, Italy, Spain. Some real meat and potato places. Yeah. No, uh, and good. and any of them um places like close near and dear to your heart that you're like I'm so excited Come back with welcome, open arms. I love Spain. We do very, very well in Spain, which has been a, a really. A, a, I have a great promoter over in Spain called Heart of Gold, and they've just done an amazing job, really helping me to build a career over there. So we can go, and I, I will go and play from in Madrid for you know twenty five hundred people, and it's pretty. It's a pretty amazing place to be able to go and hang out. Eduardo, favorite Spanish wine? Ooh, um, a little un, uh, unsung spot in the uh, northwest part. It's a grape called Mencia. Sure. Uh, really light, easy drinking. Yeah. So delicious. He didn't even flinch. Look oh, at that. He was yeah, ready. I'm impressed. He was ready. We did. We did actually played uh, uh, when they, they, they recently did an unveiling for the, the white grape in Rioja. And we played at the, the, the like they that's had a big awesome. event. And What's the uh, white grape unveiling? I don't know what that's all about. but you I, know. I don't know either. Yeah. yeah apparently apparently awesome. they have a white. Rioja is generally 
known for red wine, I yeah. would imagine. And they have, they're, they're apparently debuting a, a, some sort of genetic anomaly where they have a white Rioja grape. <laughs> oh, oh so, I mean, there are, are whites from Rioja, to be sure, that can be pretty fascinating and compelling wines. Okay. Uh, and, and I guess it was yeah, a, I, a I good really excuse to play good music. That's pretty yeah. much I mean, yeah. uh, I, I, you know, I enjoy Spanish wine. I don't know as much as I would yeah. like. And then uh, are you coming back to the States at all for tour? Yeah, you know, we'll be back uh, when we get back in June. Basically, that'll be around release time. Uh, and the goal is to kind of do these nights like this shows in probably 10 cities in June and July and really kind of slowly break in to, to, to coming back. to. T- it's actually been a very, very long time since I've toured extensively in the U.S. So I think the goal is to really try to get some music out there, whether it's on the radio or whatever, and, and then... Uh, and use that as a springboard to getting back on the road here in America. That's which great. Is my and real goal. And you're playing uh, in Philly on Friday. Hey, on Thursday. Or Thursday. Thursday, yeah. On in, in, yeah, in Philly on Thursday, we're doing like a, a little bit of a kind of a an intimate evening with Eli Favorite Reed, with just me and a couple other guys doing some some tunes from the new record. But it's not it's not the full on nights like this. But uh, if you're in Philly, you should come out and see us at the Prince Theater on Thursday, which is the 20th. Amazing. Um, well, before we uh, have you play one more tune, um, where can people find you, sign up for email list, pre-order the record, etc.? Well, you can. Uh, the best place, I think, is to hit me up on Twitter, which is just at Eli Paperboy Reed, all one word, two E's at the end. Facebook is good, too, facebook.com slash Eli Paperboy Reed. The website is a thing that exists. I don't really know who runs it, but Twitter and Facebook are, are always good. I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter. If you hit me up, I will, I will hit you back. And, um, yeah, record comes out April 29th. Shock to the System, which I just played, is out on iTunes right now, so you can go and buy that. It sounds really good. It sounds better than just me and a guitar, I promise. It sounds pretty good in here. Yeah, oh, thank you. I appreciate uh, it. I mean, I have to say that you were one of the first performances where – when we started to look back uh, and be like, oh, I actually think we can start making comps of all the live performances. Um, it was like one of your performance with like the with that and the the fork on the plate percussion, <laughs> which was like I think just like a happy accident after we finished eating. I feel like it was just somebody just like I, whoever was, it was maybe somebody else was in here and decided to just use the fork in the plate. Unless it was on the floor, it was on I, the floor. Was I just stomping on? You were it? just stomping, and we was like, oh, that sounds actually. That's really, I think that's what it was. Yeah. you know, I missed that. We should have done that. We yeah, well, you know, next gotta, time, you next, gotta, time. Make, next time for the exactly. hopefully in less than four years for the next record. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, I also want to thank. Our other guest Eduardo from DBGB thank you so much for spending your day off with us thank you so much fun uh, yeah and so um, uh, stay tuned next week for another episode of Snacky Tunes I will not be here but Darren will be taking my place uh, and then we'll be back in two weeks for a very special birthday edition All of right. uh, yeah we have the Richard Jenkins who is a uh, who uh, do you know him okay I, I know of him I uh, know him he is like old school piano player um, from around New York like Carlisle type vibes so we thought uh, that'd be really amazing Um, but uh, all right, what are you going to take us out with we're going to do one this is my favorite ballad on the record I'm a big ballad guy and we had to have one real powerful ballad and this is called Two Broken Hearts wait and who wrote that was did you write the ballad or did you have help oh I wrote the ballad I write all the ballads (laughs) I I mean most of the lyrics are mine but this is is one of my my my, my, uh, this is probably my favorite song on the record although I have to say that about all of them Anyway, Two Broken Hearts. You've been gone a week now But I still haven't cried Everything that you took from me you still can't take my pride 
show me all your secrets And girl, I told you mine But I won't have no regrets If I get some off my mind So baby, stand back, it's a heart attack Gonna use your words to get you back Pretty soon you'll see Misery loves company Keeping all your secrets just ain't no fun Two broken hearts are better than one Yeah, you said it's over, but I, I've just begun Two Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. 
Thanks for listening.